You're listening to the Choose to Be podcast with host Alana Gordon and Amy Wolsey. As you join us each week, we will provide you with tools, resources, and knowledge to help you navigate your healing journey. Choose recovery, choose healing, choose you. Welcome to the Choose to Be podcast. Today, you're here with me all alone. It's Alana Gordon. We do not have Amy with us this week. Amy and I are trying to get our calendars to mesh, but we are just in a busy season. So it is just me today. And as I was thinking about what I want to dig into, I was thinking about the number one thing people come to me for when it's regarding couples work that they will say that they want to work on or want to heal is better communication. Whether we've dealt with betrayal, whether we've dealt with trauma, whether we've dealt with just simple disruptions in the relationship growing apart, that is the number one thing that I hear people say is I want better communication. And really when we're talking about any relationship with our parents, with our children, with our friends, with coworkers, so much of communication tends to be at, um, a core desire of something to work on. And it makes sense because it's really an obvious thing that we can tackle is how do we communicate better? Because if we could just communicate, then maybe we can connect and we're hardwired for connection. Every single one of us, even the people, if you have a spouse that you're like, yeah, no, they couldn't care less if they never saw another human again, they're still hardwired for connection. It is in there. Now they may be numbing out to that or have things that are blocking that but we are hardwired for this connection with the being able to connect with each other. So much of that communication does play a really key role. So there's different types that we, different types of ways we can communicate. We can do it very passively, which in essence means we stay very small. We're very quiet. We don't share what we need. We're willing to give up our needs to everybody else. So we're very passive in the way that we communicate with others. We can be very aggressive. We can do it in a way that's forceful and we force what we think and we feel on people around us. And that aggression can come with physical aggression, emotional aggression, but it's very in your face. Then we have passive aggressiveness, which we'll go really in depth in just a minute on is there is still that underlying aggression, but it's very hidden. It's done in a very quiet, passive way. So on the surface, we may show, we may say that we agree with somebody and say, yeah, sure. I'll do that. Or that's fine. But in essence, it's not fine. And we find very quiet ways to let them know that we're not okay with that. That's passive aggressiveness. And then the last one, which is our ideal is to be assertive. And when we're assertive, we're able to own what we feel and what we think we don't force it on other people but we can stand in our truth and we don't hide from that. The reason I want to focus on passive aggressiveness in particular is I'll just admit, this is something that was my default and still is my default. If I don't work on this is to be passively aggressive and see it a lot when we have relationships healing from betrayal trauma and infidelity or sexual addiction. The reason why I see that often is because there's a lot of different reasons. I guess maybe I'll break it down by why I see it in betrayed partners and then why I see it with the person who has acted out. 
I see it with a person who's acted out because there is a lot of often self-protection that's happening. I also see it because I'll see individuals with the nice guy syndrome or nice girl syndrome where they have been so trained that they need to show up nice. I'm using air quotations. <laughs> you can't see me, but they get so trained that they need to show up as nice, but they aren't honoring or don't know how to honor any of their needs, their wants, their voices, their desires. And so in this attempt to be nice, they actually show up in very not nice ways. So that I'll see with the partner who's acted out with betrayed partners. I'll see that because there's often a lot of underlying pain and it could be that there hasn't been safety to be able to express that or to share that emotional safety to be able to do that. Or I'll also see it because where there's so much anger and they really are trying not to be aggressive, but that anger has nowhere to go. So they're not fine. They're not working with a therapist and having that healthy release, or they're not getting it out through journaling or finding a group or those other healthy ways to process. So everything coming towards their partner is passive aggressive. I also will just see, this is one that can be passed down through family generations really, um, easily can be passed down because if we've watched parent be passively aggressive, then it's easier for us to move into a default of that. So that's something that's good to look at is if you had a parent who is very passive aggressive, do some checking with yourself. And are there any of those behaviors that you have unwittingly continued on? So with passive aggressiveness, it passive aggressiveness is a pattern of indirectly, and that's the key word right here, indirectly expressing negative feelings instead of openly addressing them. And there becomes this big disconnect of what a person exhibits and what they say or what they do. So you can get this dual message. So for example, somebody might agree to do something and sometimes even positively and enthusiastically of, yeah, sure, I'll do this. and then they either are always forgetting to do it or, and okay, this is where it gets tricky because passive aggressiveness sometimes becomes so innate in us that we don't even recognize it ourselves. So to us, who the person who's being passive aggressive, you may legitimately feel like you are forgetting it, yet you forget it every single time for the person who keeps asking you. And, and when we really look at it, we never really wanted to do it. And so this forgetting it, while it may not be a conscious choice, it is this very indirect way of not doing it because we never really wanted it to do it in the first place. Other ways passive aggressiveness might look it might look like resentment or opposition to the requests or demands of others. And this especially can happen if you feel like somebody else is in an authority position. So with couples, um, when we get patterns where you have one individual who shows up more often and feels like a parent, you see this a lot of times with women and men as women will make jokes. You've probably heard them where they'll say, I have four kids. My husband's the fourth child, where if one 
person is taking on the vast majority of either parenting or weight in the relationship, we can get dynamics that feel like we have a parent-child relationship. That is one of the ways that really can hurt or damage a relationship. Also, if we have in childhood, I'm going to just genderize for a minute here. If I had a man growing up and when he was a child, he was in a relationship, a mesh relationship with his mom and his mom was always having a lot of demands of him. He can take some of those resentments that he felt in childhood into his future relationship with his wife. And even though she is not demanding things of him, a woman who feels like she has the power or feels like she's an authority, he puts her in that mom role, unknowingly, unwittingly puts her in this mom role. Then he can do the same thing as the minute she has a request, all of that frustration and aggressiveness that he had in his early years can come and all of that gets dumped from mom onto wife. So I see that a lot too. And that's a really common way that the passive aggressiveness comes into the relationship. When someone is being passive aggressive, they often let others take control while someone who is just aggressive is more confrontational or directly forceful. So I'm going to say that again, someone who is passive aggressive often lets others take control, but because they let others take control, the passive aggressiveness is almost a way of like regaining some sense of control. So I was one where it was very programmed in me to sacrifice for others. And so I always felt like I was constantly like giving and sacrificing and giving and giving, but that would build up, that resentment would build up. And then I would show people how I was angry in other ways. And that could be things like I would slam doors and then my husband would say, are you okay? And I would say, I'm fine. I'm fine. But here I am slamming doors because the slamming the doors, like cupboard doors was my passively aggressive way of saying, no, I'm not okay, but I'm giving two different messages. Other specific signs of passive aggressive behavior could look like procrastination intentional mistakes in response to others' demands or requests. It could be a hostile attitude or cynical or really sullen attitude when you don't get what you want. I'll see this with couples where if she is in a place that doesn't want to be sexual, then he can go to a passive aggressiveness of being really sullen or hostile because she wasn't um wasn't willing to have sex with him. Another one could be learned helplessness that can come off as passive aggressiveness. If you know how to do something or you could figure it out, but acting like you can't, or you're not capable, that could come off as passive aggressiveness, stubbornness, evading problems, blaming other, playing the victim, acting like you don't know how to do things, but not being willing to figure it out sarcasm. That's a really common way we see it. Backhanded compliments, hiding anger. Another one that is passive aggressiveness. And this one, if betrayed partners, you're going to go, you're going to have feelings around, but it's the silent treatment. And John Gottman talks about the four horsemen that destroy relationships. And one of them is stonewalling. And this is, it gets really tricky because with betrayal, 
often you have so much pain and there is this pulling back and needing space to be able to heal. And there's this attachment and, and there's attachment ambivalence where it's, I want to come towards you because you're my person and you're my attachment, but I also want to go away from you because you hurt me. And so there's this attachment ambivalence. And so it's really common that there is a going silent or giving the silent treatment ways that this is unhealthy and can be passive aggressive is if we refuse to say anything, if we refuse to talk about the fact of why we need to pull back. So when we pull back in a healthy way, it will sound something like I am feeling a lot of pain and I need to take some time and space for myself versus a passive aggressive silent treatment is there is no notification. We've just gone silent. We will not talk to them. We will not say anything. They speak to us and we stay silent. And there is no owning of what we're experiencing. And there is no letting the other person know where you're at. Now, the times that I will say that you do not need to give all of this is if you have a true narcissistic personality disorder, the other person does, then you may need for protection, a certain level of pulling away and pulling back and not sharing why you were pulling back or pulling away, because that could be used against you in a very dangerous way. But the amount of people who have true narcissistic personality disorders is very little. So in most cases, there are ways that we can pull back and tend to our needs and do it in an assertive way, which is the sharing what we're going to be doing and why versus the going silent ghosting them, stonewalling them. So that's the difference. And I just want to note too, that if you were really early in recovery, you might not be capable of having those type of conversations yet. That you might, the only thing you need to do right now is just learning how to self-regulate. And once you then get self-regulated, we get out of the constant fight, flight, or freeze. Then we can look more at how do I practice doing this? How do I practice being assertive and owning what I need instead of going to this place of passive aggressiveness? Other ways we might show up with passive aggressiveness is making excuses other than just saying what's on our mind, responding with subtle digs. So instead of saying, I'm really mad at you, we find ways to dig at them regularly. I'll say that a lot with both partners, really. Verbal cues, but not telling them how we feel is another way of passive aggressiveness. It could be big size, rolling of the eyes. Those are passive aggressive ways of trying to say I'm not okay, but not actually just voicing where we're at. I'm trying to think if there's any others I want to hit. I think those are the main ideas or examples of passive aggressiveness that I want to look at. So the question then becomes, how do I want to say we as a couple, but really it's you as an individual. So how do I, as an individual show up in my relationships, whether it be with my family, my spouse, my kids, my parents, my coworkers, my boss, how do I show up in a way that's not passive aggressive? That's not aggressive. It's not passive where everyone's walking all over us. How do we show up in a way that's assertive? What does assertive actually look like? What does it sound like? Well, again, assertiveness 
is being able to voice where we're really at and voice what's what we're experiencing and what's coming up for us. And it's not putting it on the other person, but it's letting the other person know where we're at. And I'm going to add a word with assertiveness. I think it's really good for my partners who have betrayed to learn how to practice gentle assertiveness because assertiveness, when we start practicing it in the beginning can sound a lot like aggression, especially if we've been passive before or passive aggressive before. When we're trained to learn how to use our voice and even betray partners, we do this too. When you're trained to learn how to use your voice and you haven't used it in a healthy way before, it's really common that we pendulum swing way over to the other side and we sound aggressive and we almost do this forceful asserting of where we're at or what we're experiencing or how we're feeling. And sometimes we have to do that to be able to find that middle ground to get to that place where we can have this assertiveness, this calm, gentle, direct assertiveness. But there's a little back and forth as we get there. But kind, direct assertiveness is really a learned skill. So if you're listening to this and you're going, I don't know how to do this. Where do I even begin? Sometimes it can be helpful to begin with looking at a history of have there ever been times in my life that I was clear and direct with either how I was feeling or where I was at. And remember, anytime we talk about boundaries, we talk about with boundaries, boundaries are kind when they are clear and they're direct. And when we are saying what we are experiencing, what we need, what we're feeling, really owning our own experience, it's the same principle behind it is clear and direct. So sometimes we have to really work on getting that with ourselves first. How do we get clear and direct with ourselves of what we're experiencing where we're at? Because we need to be able to do that to be able to share it with others. So again, this is why this work is so individual, but why it has such a big impact relationally. And we may have blocks that are blocking us to be able to communicate in this healthier way. So we might need to do some work around that. Our blocks can be our trauma. And for betrayed partners, that's a really obvious present trauma right there. But there could also be past trauma, past trauma in our childhood, past trauma with our parents, past trauma around enmeshment or not having a voice or having a voice and having that shut down over and over again. So we might often have to do some work around why we are struggling to communicate in this way. And then look at the history of times you were able to do that. And what played into that? What played into you being able to have that gentle assertiveness, to be able to have a voice? Sometimes being able to be assertive. And the reason we were able to do that is because there was safety relationally to be able to do that. Other times there wasn't safety relationally or with the other person, but we had enough motivation because anger gave us that motivation to speak up. Or we started really working on our self-worth and knowing and being able to honor where we are and what we feel. What's interesting because Carol Jorgensen Sheets, she wrote a book and it's called Help or Heal by Carol Jorgensen Sheets with Alan Katz. And in that book, it's written for 
it's written for any partner who is trying to help their other partner heal, but it's really written through the lens of men trying to help their wife heal from betrayal, hence help her heal. But in there, in this book, I really love this book. It's got a lot of great tools, but they talk about these different types of communication style. And she states that assertiveness is the key to good self-esteem. And as we practice this assertiveness, we're actually healing and building our self-esteem. And the amount of individuals who have betrayed their partner, what is interesting to me is often how low self-esteem there is. And it's not just low self-esteem around making choices outside of their value system, but often there's been a pattern of low self-esteem. So this is a great way to be working on healing that self-esteem among others. And then they give this, what they call an assertiveness formula. And this formula is broken down really in, I feel statements. Now, I feel statements. I remember being in the sixth grade and learning, like sitting in school. And it was one of those old school projectors where the teacher would put something on the projector and it would shine up on the screen. And it would say something like, I feel when you, and I remember even, it's so funny why this memory is ingrained in my head. And I became a therapist later in life, but I just remember being like, wow, that's a cool tool. I think that's so cool to like, just own how you feel and have other people own how they feel. I love authenticity. And when somebody just gives me and is honest with how they really feel, like I can work with that. And I'm not talking about in therapy, but yes, in therapy, but just in my friendships, when someone just says like, Hey, Alana, this is where I'm really at. It's such a freaking gift. And I love authentic people. So this formula is pretty classic. I feel statements, but if you've never been taught this, it might be totally foreign to you. So basically you say name when you blank name the behavior I feel, or I felt, and then you name the feeling you feel because, and then you name the message it sent you. So it could sound like, I'm going to use my husband, poor Luke, but Luke, when you don't respond to me, when I share you share with you something about myself and you don't even have a response, I feel really abandoned and rejected. And I feel that because I feel like I'm not being heard or seen and that you're not present with me. And so then I feel like I'm all alone in this life. And I hate that. I hate that feeling. Now you'll see what I did there. So the behavior was I'm not responded to. And then I, I really own for myself. I feel rejected and I feel alone and I feel abandoned. And other messages I can make about that is he doesn't care about me. Or if he really loved me, he would slow down and listen to me or all sorts of meanings. And it depends on the day and time, but that's really common that we are making meaning out of others' behaviors all day long, meanings about ourselves. And usually those meanings about ourselves tie into our own stuff that's already there. So when my husband is not present, by the way, my husband has ADHD. And so I have had to learn that his not hearing me and being present with me often has to do with his ADHD, but 
so there's this part where I have to slow down and be like, Hey, I need you. Are you with me? And then I can share what I want because there is just this diagnosis that does play into our relationship. I don't want it to, but it does. But what's what I have to do my work around is recognizing what meanings I'm making about it. And they may or may not be accurate. Brene Brown talks about using the tool of my story is you're doing this because of this, or my story is when I experienced this, it's because you felt this and really recognizing and owning. And you see this, what I'm talking about is assertive communication. I am asserting how I think and feel, and I'm asserting what meanings my brain is making out of this. And that gives the other person room to then be able to step back and realize what they're experiencing and what meaning their brain is making out of it. Now, I share all of this. And does this mean that when you practice being assertive, that the other person is going to be able to respond beautifully and they're not going to have hard feelings towards it or that it's going to always just go really well. No, no, the other person's going to have whatever reaction they're going to have. And just because we show up with a healthy, gentle assertiveness and we let go of the passive aggressiveness does not mean that the relationship instantly is going to be healed. But what it does mean is we as individuals can be doing our part to set relationships around us for the greatest level of healthiness. And even if one person in the system is shifting and changing, that does impact the system. And then what the other person chooses to do with that, they will have to do their work around that. So whether you're the partner who has betrayed or you're the partner who has been betrayed, we really can look at how we are showing up relationally. We can look at how we are showing up, whether we're showing up aggressively or passively or passive aggressively or assertively. And wherever you are at right now, give yourself grace that we are there usually for a whole variety of reasons. But when we have an idea of where we want to go, we can give ourselves grace of let's head in that direction. I can head towards that healthier version of me. And again, like I will just own, I go to those places. My default when I am in pain is to go to a passive aggressive place. And I have to work hard to overcome that. And it really, for me, means that I have to slow down. I have to get intentional with myself, where I'm at, what's coming up for me. And then I can go assertively share with my partner. So it's hard work. When I talk about this stuff, I'll tell people the type of work you're doing is you're healing from betrayal or healing from betraying your partner. This is heavy duty, Olympic level hard work. And so when you hear me explain it and you're like, I don't know how I'll ever get your learning right now. And that is a step on the path because first we have to learn it in our head intellectually and then we can move it more internally into a knowing and a believing and taking it all in. Then it comes out more in behavior. So there's a process of it going through a first learning and then knowing and understanding. And then it comes out in behavior. And then even as it comes out behavior, we don't do it perfectly. So we'll do that pendulum swing, but it's moving forward and practicing and trying. And you get to do redos. 
and you get to keep trying and you get to learn and grow. So if you have been so passive aggressive in the past, you're in good company. I've been there and sending so much love and support, but keep going. And as always, thanks for being with us today. Amy, I miss you. We'll have Amy with us next week. And thank you. We'll see you all next week. If you'd like more help with your recovery, then reach out to chooserecoveryservices.com. Check out our team of amazing coaches that will help you along your way. It is your choice to choose healing, choose recovery, and choose you. Take care, everybody.